0: Well, now that we're just a couple weeks away from Christmas, I think it's okay for me to say, officially, Merry Christmas, right? We're close, it's coming, and for some of you, that's probably uh, these words that bring peace and joy for others, maybe you are terrified and anxious and thinking about all the things that you need to be doing in the next two weeks to make this perfect Christmas, and that's the pressure we often put on ourselves, is we have to have the, the decorations right, we have to do all of the right traditions with all of the right foods, and, and you have to have all the right families for this perfect moment of Christmas. And I just want to say, for those of you who are panicking, just take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. Jesus came to be the Prince of Peace in our lives. And it's almost ironic that in, this, in the, the holiday that we celebrate his coming, we often whip ourselves up into a frenzy and fill ourselves full of anxiety. But the, the, what we're going to learn today is that no matter what you're planning, what you're hoping, it's, it's probably not going to go the way you have it in your mind. And that's okay. That's kind of how life works, is that plans typically fail. But when you know that Jesus is with you and Jesus is for you, you can have this unexplainable peace no matter what comes in life. Now, if you open up to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we're going to be reading this really from from the perspective of Joseph, and that's where Matthew is different than Luke, which we're most familiar with, which really uh, speaks to the perspective of Mary, as Pastor Chris spoke on that last week, but this is the perspective of Joseph, and it's almost fitting that if this is a a man's account of something uh, like a birth, it's, it's very short and succinct, Uh, These are the only verses in in Matthew that talk about the birth of Jesus. And if you ask me about the birth of our children, I'd probably tell you, uh, yeah, I remember on the way to the hospital, uh, the ice was just forming on Lake Waconia and it looked nice and we got there and then the baby was born, right? Uh, Mandy would probably have a much different uh, account, but this this is really Joseph walking through this and, and he had a part in this story too, albeit not as big as Mary's. He had a lot to consider. He he had a lot to really wrestle with through this. And through his perspective, every plan and every hope and every dream that he had for his marriage with Mary up to this point was kind of shattered. And yet he was asked to walk in this radical obedience to God and and still through it had this unexplainable peace. So join with me now as we read this account in Matthew uh, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, as we look through this story, I really see this kind of broken down in in three parts and how God can give you peace, through these difficult moments in life, and, and the first, I think, is the one that we can all relate with nearly every day, is that we can have peace when plans fail. More specifically, when, when our plans fail, we can have peace through those moments. And, and let's be honest, we all like to plan out our lives and, and create our steps towards success or happiness, and we have a very hard time deviating from what we determine is best, but as soon as you make a plan in life, you can expect it to fail in some sense. And as I talked about before, you're probably making your Christmas plans of all of the perfect decorations and the right food and, and the right moments, but it's likely to go wrong somewhere, all right? The, the food's not going to turn out. The family you thought was going to be there is going to be sick. You're going to go to someone's house and forget all of, the, uh, all of the Christmas presents at home. I say those things because those have all happened to me in the last couple of years, but something that, whatever you're planning, it's, it's going to fail, and, and that's why I think all of us can identify with Clark Griswold. You guys see that movie, Christmas Vacation? It's, a, it's one many people like to watch, and it's also almost kind of painful to watch because Clark Griswold, in the movie Christmas Vacation, had everything go wrong for him. And I think a lot of people like this because you can identify with it. And in, this, in this movie, you know, he just wants a nice time with his family over Christmas Vacation, And so they trek for hours through the snow to find the perfect tree, and then he realizes he forgot the saw in the car. They invite both of their parents out to their house for a nice time together, but it's just constant bickering and then posing on one another in a cramped house. So to get away from it, he decides he's going to put lights on his house, 25,000 lights. He falls off the roof, and things aren't wired correctly. And When it does work, it drains the whole city of electricity. And then the uninvited relatives come, his rude cousin, they burned down his tree, they ruined the Christmas turkey. But then the true breaking point for him is when he had been planning on this Christmas bonus to come, that he put a down payment on a pool, that it didn't come. And in that moment, I'm just warning you, it's been a long time since I've seen this movie, I think that moment is how it gets its PG-13 rating, so don't watch this one with kids. But the point is we can identify with that because we all have our breaking points when things don't go to our plans, when our our plans fall apart. And how we typically approach life is we create our steps, we create our dreams and our goals, and then we expect God to just kind of go along with it. You know the old saying, people make plans, God laughs. Maybe God has something better for you than what you planned. And you're going to have a lot of those moments in life. I call them the, I wasn't planning on that kind of moment. Sometimes it's just that simply what you wanted didn't happen. Sometimes it's because there's real hardship and pain in life. You might be getting that big bill you weren't expecting. I wasn't planning on that. You might get the health diagnosis you never wanted. I wasn't planning on that. You might lose a loved one. I wasn't planning on that. It's okay to be sad in those moments. It's okay to take a moment and realize what's happening. But what we know through what we're about to read is that as long as you have trust in God and you're following him, you may be sad, you may be confused, but you need not be worried. You can have peace through it all. And what we have here on the screen is is another moment of of Joseph saying, I wasn't planning on that. And if you understand the the way people were uh, betrothed or engaged to be married in this culture, uh, is that that the parents set up this relationship between people. There was no christiansingles.com. There was no singles ministry at church. The parents arranged the marriage, and, and this was something you went into. As soon as you're engaged or betrothed, Is about a year-long process of kind of planning your life out with this person before ultimately the husband would take the wife home and they'd consummate the marriage and it would become a, a true and official marriage. They're in that middle portion now where they're planning things out and, and dreaming about life together and, and wondering what it's going to be like and talking about how many children they want to have. And then all of a sudden, Joseph found out Mary was pregnant, and it wasn't by him. wasn't planning on that. And now he has to just realize this this whole situation of what he, he does with this. And from his perspective, Joseph, being a righteous man, one who knows the extent of the law, only saw two options here. Either I bring this up publicly and make charges against her for adultery, which it would likely end in her being stoned, or I do the graceful thing, which is to divorce her quietly and we both go our separate ways. But God said, maybe there is a third way that you're not thinking of here. And so in his mind, all of his plans have failed and he's ready to walk away, but then he's visited by the angel in which he says, maybe think about it this way. This sounds crazy, but hear me out, Joseph. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you're to call him Jesus. Jesus. What we don't know in this story is, is how, much Jesus, or how much Joseph knew at this, this moment. If you read the account of Luke, you know that, that Mary was visited by the angel, as, as Chris had spoke on last week, that she was willing to do whatever the, the Lord would have for her, and then she quickly hurried off for three months to see her cousin Elizabeth in a town nearby. Now, we don't know if, if Joseph had heard from Mary before she left, or he found out when she got back. But in any sense, from an earthly viewpoint here, she was gone for three months, and she came back pregnant, and it wasn't by him. This is a moment that all of us would have a really hard time understanding, but the angel said, don't be afraid to take her home as your wife, because it is exactly as she told you, that she is conceived with a child by the Holy Spirit. Who would become the Messiah, the Savior of the world. This is one of those moments you realize things don't always go in life as you plan it, and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe God has something better for you, and better for others, and better for the world, and then what you came up in your mind. And There's a verse that I love that, that we know that we can have peace through all things because God can do immeasurably more than what we ask for and imagine, I thank God that he doesn't give us everything we ask for as we ask for it. Is he can do even better. And here Jesus came because of God's plan, which was better than anything Joseph and Mary could have thought up themselves. And as I wrap up this first point, I just want to encourage you. If you're having one of those, I wasn't planning on that kind of moments in life right now, have peace through it. As long as you trust in God, as long as you've given everything to God and you're ready to follow him wherever he takes you, then you are exactly where you need to be right now. Maybe there's something better for you than you planned in the moment. You can have peace even when your plans fail. And this I think is one of the most important points coming up in this story is that we can have peace when we fail. Sometimes things just happen that we have no control over. It wasn't anything that we've done to get us there. But, but we all fail. We all make mistakes. We all have regrets. And what we see here is that we can have peace even in our greatest failures. We can have peace even in our sin. And the angel went on to tell Joseph that she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, Jesus came with a specific reason, which was to, to be the sacrifice for our sins, that we could be forgiven. And what we read in this is, 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 is a very simple truth, which is that everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short of God. And sometimes it's very hard to admit that as people, that, that we have sinned, that we have made mistakes and failed in some way. It, it takes humility in understanding this before God. And typically, as people, there's three ways that we approach sin when, when we don't want to admit it. And the first is to minimize it and to say, well, yeah, I made a mistake, but it's, it's not as bad as, as so-and-so. Or, you know, I, I know that I'm not the worst person in the world. There's people way worse than me. And, and all of that could be true, but you have to understand that every person has sinned and has fallen short of the glory of God and is in need of a Savior Maybe the second point is how most people approach is that there's some sort of self-justification. You you, you admit that there's a problem, but you say, yeah, but I've, I've done a lot of good things as well. In fact, I've done more good things than bad things, and so that must put me in the right spot before God. But that's not true either. And the third and maybe the most dangerous is just complete ignorance of it altogether which is, is to say that there is no such thing as sin or I'm not a bad person. But to understand why Jesus came is to understand your own condition, that every person has sinned and has fallen short of God. And Jesus came to save you from that. Jesus was born into a messy and fallen world, but he came to make it clean. And it's right there in his name in this verse. Jesus comes from the Hebrew Joshua or Yeshua, which means the Lord saves. Jesus, in his nature, was born as a Savior. And his mission, his vision, his purpose are all combined in this one verse. He came to save people from their sins. Then Matthew kind of takes the time to kind of editorialize this and and put some context into it as, as he talks about the fulfillment of prophecy in the book of Isaiah. And all this did, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through Isaiah the prophet, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When you look at this verse, specifically at verse 23, there's two important points here to really unpack, to understand just the magnitude of the Christmas story and what Jesus did. And that the first is that he came from a virgin mother. The immaculate conception is, is aside from maybe the resurrection, one of the greatest and most profound miracles that altered the whole history of the world. It illustrates that, that this was, in fact, God's doing, a miracle that only he could do, that he has total sovereignty and power over all things, that Jesus came through a virgin. And if he can do that, then he can forgive you of your sins as well. But virgin mother are just two words that don't go together in our minds, right? Kind of like honest fisherman or frugal government Or world champion Minnesota Vikings. (laughs) Virgin mother or virgin birth, this is a part of the story that, that shows us that without a shadow of a doubt, this is God's work from beginning to end. And Jesus came not because of anything we've done, but what God has done for us. Jesus is God's son. In a legal sense, he became Joseph's son, and we're going to talk about how Joseph walked in faith through that to adopt Jesus as his son, but Jesus is God's son, born through Mary. The birth of, and life and death and resurrection of Jesus is all incredibly divine, and so is salvation. Only God can save us from our sin. And it's nothing man can do for themselves. But the second profound statement in this is Emmanuel, or God with us. This idea that there's this nearness and this compassion of God, his deep and profound love to be with us, even in our worst moments as we fail. And that's what comforts me through this story, as I look through my life, and I live with regrets and things I wish I could take back, and knowing my failures, is that through it all, God came to be with me. He came to be with you. God is with us. And so I just want to encourage you today that that if you're thinking through your life and you're thinking through your regrets and your failures, that that no matter how far you feel like you are from God, how, how far you think you are, God came to be with you. Jesus came to be with us. And he desires that more than anything else. So accept that today. But this idea of God being our Savior is so basic, yet so difficult to understand and accept. We try so hard to save ourselves from our sins. But it's Jesus who came in a divine way to save us in a divine way. You know, I talk to a lot of people about salvation, and and the question I ask often is, how do you, will you go to heaven? How do you think you go to heaven? And the most common answer I hear from people is by doing good things. I know I'm going to go to heaven because I I have a list of good things I've done in my life. But what we know through the Bible is that the only way to heaven is through Jesus, plain and simple. No matter how much or how little you failed in life, the only way to have peace with God is through Jesus and faith in him. Romans 5 is a really important chapter in all of Romans because it really hinges off the idea that we just talked about that's hard to understand. uh, Chapters 1 through 4 in Romans is basically saying, we have failed as people. We are sinners. But Romans 5 really hinges to this moment of, of understanding there's new life in Christ, and the very first verse of that chapter says this, that since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came to give us peace, even in the midst of our most terrible failures. And it's only possible through faith in him. And the last point I I really came to understand uh, and and appreciate through this as I studied it is that we can have peace, not just when we fail our plans or when we personally fail, but when we follow God. Now, following God is not always easy. He asks you to do some pretty difficult things. But we see Joseph waking up from this dream, and without debate, without arguing or bargaining with God, he goes and does what was commanded of him. I think about myself in this situation, you know, I've already got my mind made up. Things didn't go as I planned. The dignified thing for everyone to do is just to kind of break off and, and walk away from this thing. And then God says, no, actually, you are going to take her home as her wife because you're going to raise the Messiah with her. My thought would be like, okay, that's a big change. Give me one more night to sleep on that and think about that. And, and most of us like to delay or bargain difficult decisions. You know when i say, Okay, if I get the promotion at work, and the finances come in, then we can, we can work on this. But immediately Joseph knew what he was supposed to do, and then he did it. It takes guts, but it also requires a lot of peace to follow God in those situations. And Joseph did exactly that that he took Mary home as a wife, that he adopted Jesus into his family, which Joseph was the one who carried the bloodlines of David, which was prophesied that that the Messiah would come through the line of King David. And isn't that just the perfect way for God to weave this story together? That it wasn't man's blood or man's heritage or man's name that would, would make this great Messiah, but through adoption, Jesus fit into the family of David. And it's the same way for us that through adoption, we come into the family of God. Then in this story, there's really nothing special about people, about us, and, and about what we've created or we've become a part of. It's about what God does for us. And in that moment, Joseph became the first person to accept Jesus be a model for the rest of us. And it went on as, as he made that, that commitment to do what the Lord had commanded of him, and the, the baby was born, as we see in the next verse. And I just want to show you a picture of the manger scene, the nativity scene, that all of us really are familiar with. We have maybe a set like this in our own home. We have the Christmas cards. We have the paintings. We do the plays that we're going to do next Sunday, where we think about what it was like for baby Jesus to be born in a manger with a mother and a father who was not related to him by blood, but they did all the things, and they came together, and they had this moment. And, you know, we have one of these in, in our, our house as well, you know, where, where we have a little, um, like, a toddler one where, where Mason plays with it, and now we have another one where Stela likes to just destroy it, and Mason gets upset. But, but we, all, we all like to think about this moment, and, and we look at this, and we say, Oh, that's nice. It's so peaceful. Think about all that happened before this, though. Think about the obedience that Mary and Joseph had to walk in for for this moment to happen. And even in this, I know um, this is probably a more historically based one that I've seen, where it is just the shepherds there. Uh, There's not much going on. I do have to say, though, they're trying so hard to make this one realistic that um, Mary looks like she gave birth to a three-year-old in this one, but... But point being, we don't know exactly what happened. We think about these moments, and we say, that's nice. We see the other side of the story, but it took a, an incredible amount of grit and determination from both Mary and Joseph to walk in faith and to follow God, and yet they had peace through all of it. Now, just think about the personal pressure here. All right, raising kids is stressful, and this for them was an unplanned pregnancy, and I have my own kids that I raise and you know, I think about all the pressures of trying to do everything right and have well-mannered kids and all that. But how would you like to say here before you even married, babe, we're going to be raising the Savior of the world together? Right? That's a ton of pressure that they're going through, but they both committed to that and followed God in it. And the social pressures and the dynamics here, we just don't understand Now, neither of them did anything wrong, but they have to explain to their neighbors and friends and and the people at church and their coworkers about how they're having a baby before they were married. And all of them are like, immaculate conception. Mm Mm-hmm. So they were by no doubts kind of like social pariahs where they lived, but they followed God anyway. And the difficulties and the moments to, to get where they are right now, they're, they're going to have the Messiah. You, you'd think, from my perspective, it's like, all right, if, if, if me and Mandy are going to have the Messiah, right, then, then God's going to make everything work out for us. right? We're going to have this perfect birth, and it's going to be wonderful. No, they were kicked out of their own hometown. They went to Bethlehem. And when they got there, there wasn't a comfortable place for them. They had to stay in a cattle stall. And nobody was there with them, except the cows, and the sheep, and the donkeys, and the smells that accompany that. And and what we understand from the account of Luke is that when when Jesus was born, there was no fanfare at the manger. There was no angels there. there There's no heavenly choruses. There's no stars or bright lights at that moment. That all went to the shepherds. All right, and so, so Mary and Joseph are here and all of this stuff happens as they're walking in obedience and they have this baby in a barn that's supposed to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and nothing until their welcoming crew comes who is this smelly, outcast shepherds. And that's the first moment of physical, like earthly reinforcement they have that, that this is in fact what they're told it was. And it even says in in the book of Luke that that Mary in that moment stored up, she treasured in her heart everything the shepherds were saying and she pondered it. And I I believe in that moment she's like, maybe this is for real. They walked through all of this and what we think is if, if you are following God, everything is going to be easy, everything's going to be perfect, but they were righteous and they were faithful and everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And yet they had peace through that. We get this idea that when you follow Jesus, life will be simple. But you read through the Bible, and for nearly everyone who followed Jesus and followed God with the utmost of faith, life was difficult. But you can have peace through all of that. And that's the difference of doing life with God and or without God, is you might be able to do things the way you want to. All of your plans can go exactly as you want them to. But with God, you have this peace that passes understanding, this unexplainable peace that guides you and guards you through life, even when it is incredibly difficult. And the only way to that peace is to know Jesus, to have faith in Jesus. That unexplainable peace. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, I referenced that verse about a month ago, but it's it's an important one in my life. It says that we don't have to worry about anything. We don't have to be anxious about anything. But in every situation of life, whether your plans fail, whether you fail yourself, or, or whether the, the world around you seems to be failing, even though you're faithful, in every situation, don't worry. But by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And then the peace that passes all understanding, that unexplainable peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so if your plans are falling apart right now, let them fall apart. It's good to plan. It's it's good to have goals. It's good to dream. But if you're trusting and following God, maybe your plans are supposed to fall apart right now. If you have problems in your life, if you have failed in some way, then go to Jesus. Go to him. And trust in what he did for you on the cross and find forgiveness in him. If you, your path seems difficult and weary, and as long as you're trusting God, as long as you're obey, obedient to him, he's not going to lead you astray. He's going to direct your steps. So just keep walking. But no matter what you're going through in life, you can have peace, unexplainable peace, through it all. It's only possible because of what Jesus did for you. And as we close the service today, we're going to take that moment to remember what Jesus did. He didn't just come. He wasn't just born in this perfect story, but he came for a reason, which was to die for you, to be your sacrifice on the cross, that he could conquer death and be raised again, that you may live in him. When we think about Christmas, we're inclined to always think about what we can receive. And I'm seeing that in our five-year-old right now as presents are making her their way under the tree and, and he's shaking them and wondering and asking a bunch of questions and and and, and, and he wants to hints of what it's going to be, and he's he's really concerned about what he's going to receive. And you know, as a parent, I, I think maybe you we should ward him away from that. But I thought about it this weekend, it's like maybe that's. The point of Christmas is to realize what we've received and to be thankful for it. And that's what today is, is, is to realize what Jesus did for you on the cross and, and just to say thank you to him and to grow in appreciation of what Jesus did in the depths of love for us. Community is a time to remember what Jesus gave up. And there's a verse here in, in First uh, Peter chapter 2. I think about what Jesus went through, what Jesus gave. Knowing that he came, he humbled himself to be born as a baby. God was born as a baby and lived life just as we did. And he was tempted in every way. He had the hardships of life that we have, and yet he did not sin. But through all of that, he died a sinner's death. This is what Jesus gave for you. This is what you received because of Christmas. This is verse 21 of 1 Peter 2. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you as an example that you should follow in his uh, steps, that he committed no sin. He had no deceit that was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. There's no greater healing that any of us needs than spiritual healing before God. And by his wounds, and we did on the cross, we can be healed, we can be forgiven in him. That's what we've received. That's what God gave us. And for anyone here, I just want you to know if you're struggling through sin, if you're struggling with guilt and shame, Jesus gave himself for you. And there's forgiveness and there's redemption at the cross. That's why we celebrate communion today, is to remember that, to praise him for that, and to love him for what he's done. Now, just three basic things. If you're new here today and and, and, and not sure how we do communion this is something that, that anyone can do if you profess faith in, in God, anyone who's a believer. We don't require membership or any kind of class. So if you are a professing Christian, we invite you to, to uh, join us with this. But We also believe this is a symbolic gesture, that this represents the body and the blood of Christ. There's no sacramental idea here, but it's to help us. It's a tool to help us remember all that he's given to us. But third and most important is that this really is a time, we believe, of reverence. It's a a time to truly be humbled by God, also to have joy and and celebrate what he's done for you. But this isn't something we just rush through. We don't just tag this on. This is a moment, a deliberate moment we take together. And so with that, we're going to just take a moment of silence to prepare our hearts before God. Just time for you and God to spend alone. Silence is, is tough to find, especially in the holidays. We're going to create that for you here today. And in this time, there's a silence between you and God. Just really reflect on what he's done for you. Just really, really understand what he's done for you. If you have things in your life that you need to confess or ask help for, do that right now and just just examine your own heart before the Lord. So let's take that moment of silence together and then I'll close this out in prayer.